Thanks, Darren. Well, welcome. Good morning. Um, I feel like I could sit down after that. That was, that was great. Uh, this morning, because we're talking about uh, generosity in, in, in many ways. Um, again, if you don't know me, my name is Mitch Fierro. I'm one of the shepherds here on staff at this church. And I get the privilege of serving as a shepherd of, of our care ministries. And what that means is that I get to serve um, all of our various ministries that care for the mental, physical, emotional, relational needs of our congregation, of the city and the neighborhoods around us, and those that are taking place um, through our missionaries um, globally as well. And so, uh, as I, before we get started on, on, our, on our Christmas conversation, I do want to let you know about some serious, uh, serious staff business that we discussed this week at our staff meeting. And it was, uh, we, or Alex was leading our meeting this week, and he asked us to publicly share uh, what our favorite holiday movie was of the year. And I just felt like this needed to be shared with you guys, uh, because not only are we sharing our favorite movie, we're also sharing our least favorite movie, and mine are a little controversial, as you will hear. Uh, my all-time, and I'll start there. Uh, I'll let you guys dislike me first. Uh, my all-time least favorite Christmas movies, and this is a hard tie between White Christmas... Uh, I'm sorry, guys. We can still be friends, I promise. And National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Thank you. If you you are screening any of those movies at your house for a Christmas party and you invite me over, I'm sorry. I will not be attending because I I just don't dig those movies. And we... I encourage you to hang out for Sunday Funny afterwards, and we can fight in the parking lot if you want. Uh, but I may redeem myself with my all-time favorite Christmas movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Okay? But coming in the very tight, tight close second is the new holiday favorite, Daddy's Home 2. Okay, so for everyone that's saying that's not a Christmas movie, and yet you want to say Die Hard's a Christmas movie... It's the same thing. If a movie takes place during Christmas, it automatically becomes a Christmas movie. Uh, and so, I mean, it's, you're essentially watching Elf with Mark Wahlberg. I mean, so give it a try. Um, just make sure you're of age to watch it or something like that. Um, again, so just, just to let you a little bit know about me as we jump into our series this morning, Keeping Christ in, or not keeping, but Christ in Xmas. Christ in Xmas is what we're talking about. And Darren kind of shared last week is that the reason we're having this conversation about Christ in Xmas is because, well, that's, that's kind of become kind of a hot topic, right, for us in our time. Right? If you guys remember the, the Starbucks cup debacle of 2015, when everyone freaked out when Starbucks uh, removed something from their cups that, that made us really mad. Or, or when, 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 uh, when stores stopped using Merry Christmas and kind of pivoted to Happy Holidays. You see, we, we, we tend to respond to um, how culture is responding to the time that we find ourselves in. And we, we put bumper stickers up or we put things on our social media or signs in our yard saying, but for me, I keep, I'm keeping Christ in Christmas. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what we're trying to say is that it is impossible to remove Christ from Christmas or from Xmas. That no matter how culture or the media is responding to this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, Jesus will always be the center of this time of year. And last week, Darren shared about how how we see that through uh, God's common grace, right? Through our natural inclination and desire to want to be family, to do community together, that that is the very revelation 
of God's goodness and Jesus in our lives. But I would also say, take it a step further to say, even more so through God's common grace, but even through the folks in this room, uh, just for a show of hands, how many people in here celebrate Christmas? Like 99% of you guys should be raising your hand. Uh, But if you celebrate Christmas, as long as you are breathing air and your feet are on this ground, it is impossible to remove Christ from Christmas. You see, the very spirit that dwells and lived within Christ dwells within us as followers of Jesus. And as long as you and I are breathing and walking and living life in our circles, going to our workplaces, visiting our coffee shops, we are ambassadors of our Lord Jesus. And until we go home to be with him, Christ will be in not just Christmas, but in every day of the year. But specifically this morning, we're talking about Christ being revealed through the giving of gifts and the receiving of gifts and the generosity of this holiday time. And we do that, obviously, because we can all say as followers of Jesus that that he, that the gift of Jesus is the ultimate gift to all of mankind. That is the very reason why these these holidays are special, because we are rejoicing at the arrival of our King our King Jesus that restores us to relationship to God the Father. And I believe that one of the primary ways that Christ is revealed, not just in this holiday season, but in every day of the year, is through our individual and corporate lived generosity as followers of Jesus. Now that word generosity, it's easy to allow the context in which we're using it to define what we're talking about. I mean, Darren just talked about us being generous people, right? And so I'm standing at church in front of you guys talking about generosity. Obviously, your brain is thinking about, oh, he's, he's going to talk about giving. And, and, and to be honest, to be generous people is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As, as God has called us to be a part of this family, to be a part of this community, that means together we collectively are, are, are good stewards of the resources and ministry and people that God has blessed us to lead here and to do life with at this church. Now maybe when you hear the word generosity or giving or gifts, especially during this holiday season, you think of the actual giving of a gift to someone. Right? If, if, you're, if, gift, if giving gifts is your love language, like this is your time of year, right? Where you get to do uh, some really intentional, good shopping. Maybe spend a little bit more than you would normally spend to make sure that your loved one or your family member gets the, just the right gift this year. And really, there's nothing wrong with either of those definitions. In preparation for our conversation this morning, I, I googled the term uh, Christian generosity. And what came up were three pages on Google, of church websites encouraging people to give to the congregation and giving reasons why people should be giving to the church. And, and honestly, that, that, that should have been what I expected, right? Because that's, that's usually when you put the word Christian and generosity together, that's what people think. I, I would have loved to see pages upon pages of stories of how the body of Christ, how Christians are living generously, not just in how they're giving to their congregation, but how they're, they're giving generously of their, their, their resources, of their giftings and their talents to the neighborhoods and the people in their circles. 
So if we're gonna if we're gonna liken generosity to just putting money in the metaphorical basket as it goes past, or, or giving or giving great gifts during this holiday season, if that's what we're going to reduce generosity to, friends, I just want to let you know we are missing out on so much more of what it means for us to truly live a life of generosity. See, the actual act, the, the, the putting the money in the basket, the, the, the giving of the gift, that, that's just the, the final step of what it means to be a generous follower of Jesus. You see, to live generously, it, it includes so much more. It includes being sacrificial. It includes being merciful and, and, and showing mercy. It means being compassionate and empathetic. It means being kind and abundantly generous. And friends, if you remember, you and I, as we've seen so far in the Genesis account, you and I are created in the image of our creator. And generosity is one of the primary definers, the primary characteristics of the God that we've been called to serve. I mean, if we just look at the amount of time that we spent in Genesis, we've seen God be so generous We see God give life to Adam and Eve in the first few chapters of Genesis. We see him giving the creation that he created to Adam and Eve to have dominion over. When sin enters and Cain ultimately kills his brother Abel, we see God give the gift of grace to Cain when he should have suffered a punishment far greater than what he received. We see God give favor as a gift to Abram by promising to, 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 to build the nation from his lineage. We see God give grace to Lot, not once, but twice in chapter 14 and chapter 19 as well. And so far, and, and one more thing, we've seen God give grace to Abraham and Sarah by gifting them with their son, Isaac. When they were at an age when they should not be physically able to have children. So as followers of Jesus, as, follow, or as, as Christ followers and as, as image bearers, we are called, we are created to reveal the same generosity that we see in God the Father to the world around us. And the reason that that we get kind of stirred during this holiday season, the reason we love uh, birthdays, the reason we love times of the year when we give and receive gifts is because it's that that, that natural tendency in us that to want to be generous, to want to receive good gifts, is just kind of stirred within us. And that's, that's the common grace of giving and receiving of gifts, that we're just wired to be that way. Long before I knew Jesus, um, when I was a child, I, I can honestly say I saw generosity actively lived out and put on display in the life of my father. We were just your regular working class family, and so there were times when we had great resources, and there were times when we did it, and times were tough. But no matter what season in which we found ourselves in, my dad was always incredibly generous. That if there was a cousin over the house for dinner or spending the night or if a friend was staying with us or going out to dinner with us, even if they pulled out their own money that their parents gave them, my dad would always say, don't worry about it, I got it. 
Or if we went to the store afterwards and ran an errand and we asked for a toy and they, they let us pick something out, they always made sure whoever was with us left with something in their hand. And as a child, that was always kind of perplexing to me because I'm like, wait, Dad, you told me we didn't have money, but yet now like you're taking all my friends out to in and out But as I, I look back on it now as an adult, I can see that even my dad, before he knew Jesus as Lord was just simply responding to the way he was created is to be kind and generous to those around him. And I can look back on that now as a father of my own children, as as a follower of Jesus and say, man, that was God's fingerprints all over my dad before he knew it and I knew it as well. So this morning we're, we're talking about generosity because it's that very thing. It is a marker of our allegiance, but also a revealer to the God that we serve. And since it's created into us, we we naturally respond to it sometimes the way we we see in my father. And as as followers of Jesus, the spirit responds us to do it in greater ways. But it's not limited to us alone. Because like I said, my dad's generosity was not limited to a connection to a church or, or to even Jesus at the time. And in many ways, uh, culture has kind of taken note of that. Um, if, if, if you're a Honda person, you're, you're celebrating not only happy holidays, but happy Honda days this time of year, right? And we're all familiar with the, 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 the helpful Honda guys. And this is actually a fascinating story. Uh, a few years ago, I think it's about 10 years ago to be exact, uh, a group of Southern California Honda dealers realized I don't think they realize, I think they always kind of knew this, but like car salesmen don't always have the best reputation. If there's any car salesman in the room, I'm sorry. And if you're a helpful Honda guy too, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not trying to uh, out you or anything, but these, these car dealerships, they realize that the car salesman doesn't have the greatest image, right? Like in your head, uh, when you think of a car salesman, you kind of conjure up the image of kind of a, this sleazy, greasy guy that's willing to do anything to make a buck again. Sorry to car salesman in the, in the room. Uh, I, I think of Danny DeVito, you know, in um, Matilda. I mean, I think of a car salesman, you know, filling gas tanks with sand in order to make a buck. And so they realize we need to tell a better narrative of who we are as car salesmen. So they decide to do the exact opposite. If people think we're greedy and people think we're slimy and we're not trustworthy, we're going to be the opposite of that. We're going to be extra trustworthy and we're going to be helpful and we're going to win people over that when they think it's time for them to buy a car, they're going to go to the people that they can trust. Hence the birth of the helpful Honda guy. And so for the last 10 years, we've seen SoCal Honda dealers uh, do anything from pay for people's gas. We've seen them pay for school tuition. We've seen them buy people cars to send uh, van loads of groceries to, um, to food kitchens. They, they've, they've done whatever they could to be kind and generous so that yours and I's God-given um, generosity or our desire to receive good gifts would respond to that. So when it's time for us to buy a car, we think, ah, those helpful Honda guys. And they're not the only ones. I mean, generosity advertising is like a thing now. Like not everyone is trying to tap into the hearts of the consumer to win them over to buy their product. And as it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. That they're just tapping into something that's been happening for almost all of time. If you have your Bible, turn over, um, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. 
We're going to look briefly at a few, a few verses and a few chapters. Acts chapter 2. And if you don't have your Bible, that's fine. The, the text will be on the screen. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And all who believed... Oh, and just to give you some context, if you don't know what we're talking about in Acts, this is like the birth of the early church. Uh, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus has ascended to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit has fallen on the church and empowered them to be the church and to live in this way that we're about to talk about. So in Acts chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Skip forward in your Bible a few pages to chapter 4, verse 34. It says that there was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold and bought, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So we see in this early iteration of the church that as folks looked at the generosity that was modeled in Christ, that we're compelled to live generous lives the same way. To making sure that no one had a need and everyone had all things in common. And it says there that the church was added to by this posture of generous living. And it didn't just end here in the, uh, in the early church. I think oftentimes we want to look at um, the, the first century church and kind of model ourselves after them. Uh, but it didn't end with them. Going into the second and third century, there were a few epidemics, and, or actually three um, epidemics and pandemics that kind of plagued the regions. It's actually recorded that where these epicenters of the pandemics and epidemics were, that folks who were healthy would flee these epicenters, leaving the sick to fend for themselves and ultimately die. And this happened on multiple occasions as these pandemics would come and go. But the church, being compelled by generous lives, by living out the way in which they were created to live, as everyone else was moving away to care for themselves, the church moved in. The church generously moved in, laying down their resources, laying down, for some of them, their lives, laying down um, their finances, whatever it took to care for those who were sick in these regions. It's recorded that that one pagan ruler, kind of infuriated um, by how the Galileans or the early church was was living, says that even these Galileans care for those that were not their own. This pagan leader was infuriated, not that the the early church was caring for the sick, but rather this pagan leader was losing his influence to those that were caring for the sick. 
See, as the early church moved in when everyone else was moving away, and they were able to nurse people back to health, and they were able to share with their loved ones the the generosity that they have received from these, these Galileans, that they were leaving their pagan ways and living new lives as followers of Jesus. This happened so much that the pagans themselves even began to model characteristics of the early church. Instructing their leaders to press in and to move forward closer to those who are sick. So when we see generosity, marketing, that's that's all that we're seeing today. But we also have to remind ourselves, we find, I wouldn't say we find ourselves in a very similar situation as as in these early churches in Rome. But, you know, hey, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic here. And I, I have been blessed beyond means to see how this church has responded during this time. When the city had needs, when there were seniors in our community at the early stages of the pandemic who were fearful to leave their home, who, who, who uh, were too sick to leave because the services that were offered to them were... Uh, were lost because the city had to let go of staff. It was this community that stepped in and said, we will meet those needs. When kids in the school system, their parents were losing jobs and they were struggling to put food on the table, it was this community that stepped in and met those needs. Much like the early church, when there was need in our community, we, we moved in. We moved in putting Christ on display, allowing us to build relationships with folks in the community, build relationships with the city, build relationships with the school district. Now, I'm not saying that to pat us on the back. In many ways, I am proud of the work that we have done, but there is still much more work to do. And and I'll get to that um, in a few moments. But the reason the early church moved in, the reason you and I move in, especially the early church, they didn't have the books that we have. They didn't have TED Talks on generosity. They didn't have traveling teachers or or YouTube videos or a, a library of sermons of what it looks like to live generously, to compel them to live this way. What the early church had was a heart that was stirred by the kindness and generosity of God that they saw modeled in the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the perfect picture of what it looks like to live a generous life. You see, Jesus didn't have a lot of possessions. He literally only owned the food on his back. But when we look at the the life and the ministry of Jesus in the text, we see someone who gave all of himself to the people that he came in contact with. He gave of his time. He gave of his resources. He gave of his giftings. I mean, even when he did offer, like when when he multiplied uh, the the loaves and the fish to feed the 5,000, he even offered, right, his network of, of people that were with him. Like those weren't, his loaves and fish, like, he, hey, like you next to me that has this, like, let, let's multiply this. Jesus gave all of himself to serve those he came in contact with. So much 
that he ultimately gave his life to die on the cross for us because of our sins. And because of Jesus' death, you and I have the gift of having a restored relationship with the Father. And because we have that restored relationship with the Father, we then get the gift of eternal life with him in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't end there. In a relationship with Jesus, we also get the gift of knowing and experiencing God and the kingdom of heaven now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like that is the gift that we receive. That is the gift in which we celebrate this time of year. The gift of Jesus giving all of himself to humanity. Now it's easy to write that off and to say, well, Jesus was God. He knew how the story ended. It was easy for him to do that. I I, I disagree. Because when we see Jesus praying in the garden before the cross, he is weeping, praying to the Father, let this cup pass from me. And so to give ourselves the excuse to not live a generous life because it's hard, it's not, it's not a, a good excuse. Because it was hard for Jesus to lay down all of his life, to take the cross. And yet he did it. This time of year, there's, there's lots of, of service opportunities um, as, as, as someone who kind of serves in the, the care wing of ministry here, it's kind of the, the, the funner time of year for me because there's just so many clear and obvious needs to meet. Uh, this is a time of year when people are asking a little bit more for assistance. These are the time of year in which we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to not only this church and the community around us. And I, not just the work that I do here at the church, but really all the work that we do. I mean, just this last Sunday, we had our special needs uh, service here um, last Sunday night. And that was a gift, like to truly see the love of God on display. Uh, if you have not attended that, I encourage you to mark your calendar next year. Uh, but for, for me, uh, I volunteered to sign up and uh, I volunteered and signed up to hand out cookies in the lobby. And I just felt like it was an easy opportunity for something for me to do with my kids. And so I asked my boys if they wanted to help out. And my oldest son, James, uh, said, Dad, yeah, I, I'll go. And I think he really just wanted the cookie. Or at least at the time, I thought he just wanted the free cookie. Uh, and as we're driving to the church last Sunday night, he, just, he said, Dad, this is the time of year when we serve the community. And I said, yeah, but like, this is the time of year when there's lots of things to do. And he's like, Dad, can you let me know everything that you're doing this year? Because I, 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 I want to serve the community with you. And him and I kind of got to unpack a conversation. I'm like, buddy, what is it? Like, why do you, like, why do you want to do that? Like, why is it that you're not pumped to come to church on Sunday morning, but you're, you're stoked to, to serve the community? And he's like, well, dad, that's what it means to love Jesus. And it dawned on me as him and I had a deeper conversation that my son's only experience um, in his life is to be connected to me and his mother who are followers of Jesus. And in our whole time in, in parenting him, we've only done vocational ministry. My son has no clue that, I, that dad worked in a cubicle in some office somewhere. And he has no idea that I managed uh, bars and restaurants and, and retail stores at some point. And he has no idea that I worked in architecture and design for many years. He just knows that mom and dad love Jesus and they give their life to serve him. And he's seen that in so many different ways in his little life. 
for many of us, or for, um, not, I'm not included in this, but for many of you who are raised in the church, the ministry that happens here has kind of given you context and lenses for what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. But my son's experience is so diverse already in his little age. See, for our first few years, we were part of a small local church here in the city of Fullerton. Uh, kind of small church where like everyone knows everyone, everyone's in each other's business in good ways and bad. Uh, but he experienced a small church like that. And then coming out of that, me and his, me and his mom uh, responded to God's call to plant a church here in the city. And so he knows church to take place not only in a smaller environment, but he also knows church to take place in our living room. And when we grew that church and ultimately started meeting in public spaces, he knows that, he knows that the church can meet in restaurants and still be the church. And he knows the church can meet in office buildings and still be the church. And he knows that now in our time here, that the church can meet in a room like this and have resources like we have here, and we're still the church. But what he's connected in all of those experiences, whether that be the small church, the house church, the church plant, or now being on staff here, my son knows that the unifying thing in all of those iterations of the church is that we are called to live generously. When we were at the small church, we lived generously and we loved and served our community. When we were meeting in our living room, we collectively loved and served our community. At our church plant, we did the same. And he gets to be a part of the, the legacy of us doing that as a family here. And friends, outside of anything that we do here as a church, as a congregation, we are primarily called to live generous lives, putting Christ on display as we give good gifts because we serve a father who gives good gifts. And friends, that is my heart for us as a church. That is, God has called me and my family to embed ourselves in the life of this community, to give ourselves what we believe God is doing and could be doing in the life of this community. We, we want to see more. More of what I talked about earlier. Yeah, we, we fed a lot of people. We met a lot of needs. We were able to come alongside and build some great relationships. But friends, that is not it. That is not all that God has called us to as followers of Jesus. And I say this, not, I don't want to guilt anybody. I don't, I don't want anyone to hear a talk on generosity. It's like, oh, they're trying to get us to give more money. Or they're trying to get us to do more stuff in the community. I'm not trying to get you to do anything. It is the Holy Spirit that will stir your hearts to do it. I just want to tell you that I believe that we can be doing more. A few years ago, a census took place. When they took account of all of those who were experiencing homelessness in our community. And I got the numbers and I took them to Jeff and we just kind of started talking through like, gosh, what are ways that we, that we can kind of start to make a dent in this? In our conversation, we kind of geeked out and we did the math a little bit and we we're like, gosh, this church alone has the resources and the manpower, if we felt led, if we were called, to alleviate homelessness in Fullerton. that this group of people that call this church home have the ability to make an impact that large in the city in which God has called us to serve. Now, I'm not saying that to guilt you into anything, but I am saying that is that as you look around this room, as you go home and have conversations with your family, 
as you are created in the image of a generous God who gives good gifts, we have the potential to have dramatic impact in the neighborhoods and communities around us. Oftentimes we are responding to crisis. We're responding to the homeless crisis. We're responding to the pandemic. We're responding to injustice. We're responding to um, human trafficking. We're responding to, to immigration. Whatever the issue is, oftentimes we're responding to what's happening in the world around us. And I just want to ask you that as you leave this place, that you would take this conversation that we've begun here, that you would have the conversation with your family, you would have the conversation with your small group, you would have it with your adult fellowship, with your life group. What does it look like for us to live generously and to be a people who give good gifts? Because friends, as I look around across this room, I see people that are created for so much more and capable of doing so much good for the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Now, not only are we wired to give good gifts because we serve a father who has given good gifts, but we're also wired to receive good gifts. So like when you get that perfect gift, like it's okay that that feels good to get that gift. Right? All of us are here in this room as professing followers of Jesus because we have received the gift of Jesus and we have recognized it is good. And that, again, is, is wired into us as image bearers. That it's not limited to only us in the room who are followers of Jesus. That the world around us, the relationships in our circles, our coworkers, our baristas, the people that work in the grocery stores that we that we frequent, that they are all wired to receive good gifts as well. And that when you and I live in a posture of generosity and we live in a place where we desire to give good gifts sacrificially to those around us, that when the folks in our circles receive that gift, it's not how great you are or even how great this church is, but it's how great the God that we love and serve is, that he would wire us and design us to live that way. So my prayer for you today is that when you leave this place, and as we are in the, the Christmas season, I just ask you to, to put on the lenses that we've talked about this morning. What does it look like for you? What does it look like for your family? What does it look like for your circle of friends? to live generously. Dream with me. Dream with our staff. What does it look like for this church? Like Darren always says, on the corner of Bastion, Cherry, and Brea, what does it look like for this local contextualized body of believers? What does it look like for us to live generous life, giving gifts to the people in the city and the neighborhoods around us so that when they see how we live, it's not how great we are, but it's how great our Lord is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good father who gives good gifts. 
We thank you for the gift that your son Jesus is that we look toward and celebrate this time of year. We are grateful for what that gift means for us individually as you invite us into your family through him and restore our relationship with us, restore our relationship with you through him. But we also pray, Lord, that you would help us to live the way you lived. That we would be generous people who give good gifts to the neighborhood and the communities around us. That through our ambassadorship, we would be able to clearly reveal your goodness and your kindness and your generosity for this neighborhood, for this city, and the world around us. May your Holy Spirit stir our hearts and our imaginations for what that could look like for us. And that we wouldn't just lean on being generous on Sunday mornings or being generous in one particular time of year, but that we would live a lifestyle of generosity. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.